Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. This is Tracy L. Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers, and I am so delighted to welcome you to the show. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I am really happy and humbled that so many people are listening to this show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you know you're fascinated by the journeys I'm presenting. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516 Four five three six zero five two. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers, and the chat room is open. So if you're listening live, sign into the chat room and ask questions. In the, uh, also, you can email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular upcoming guest. You can reach me at tracy at tracylslatin.com, and that's T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, some wonderful guests are coming on. Next week, Thursday, November 26th, we'll be airing a best-of show, the one that I tried to air in August but didn't play correctly. Blog Talk Radio is a great platform, and when it works well, it works really well, but sometimes there are bugs, as with all technology. So it didn't air in August, but that's okay. I'll air it next week on Thanksgiving. And to everyone out there, happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you have a lovely holiday with so much to be grateful for. On Thursday, December 3rd at 1 p.m., author and psychic Mary T. Brown will be talking about karma and the rules of thought. That'll be fun. On Thursday, December 10th, author and creative producer Yvonne Lee Blind will talk about merging words and music. Very cool. On Thursday, December 17th, actress and author Victoria Pratt will talk about wrangling the arts. And you may know her from a whole slew of TV shows, and then you'll be able to hear about her new novel, too. So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so delighted today to have Dr. Linda Hillebrand on to talk about 
Integrative and Functional Medicine. You can find out more about Linda at drlindahillebrand.com. Linda Hillebrand D.O. received her B.S. from Pennsylvania State University and her D.O. from Western University of Health Sciences. Dr. Hillebrand completed an OBGYN residency at Temple University in Philadelphia and since then has been in private practice in California. Dr. Hillebrand is a member of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, is board certified in OBGYN, and is a diplomat of the American Board of Anti-Aging Medicine. Linda, welcome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted that you're here, and um, I know what a wonderful doctor you are and how much experience and education training you've had, so thank you for coming on the show. So I'm... I'm going to start off with a question I like to ask my guests at the beginning, and that is, tell us how you got started. How did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have, and when did you know you were going to be involved in medicine? Were medicine, the sciences, and wellness a major presence in your home when you were growing up? I know you're also an accomplished sprinter, and sports is a big part of your life. What did you think you would be? So talk about your childhood lead up till now. And I know this is a really big question, so just run with it. (laughs) Okay. Well, I grew up in a very small town in north central Pennsylvania. Now, I have to tell you, I'm 59, so that wasn't yesterday or even 20 years uh, ago. So things were a bit different. Um, I mean, we could get on our bike and go to the park all day, and mom and dad wouldn't worry. Uh, I picked berries. We didn't buy them. Um, my grandfather had a huge garden, so we'd sneak in there and get vegetables and whatnot. So very, very different from uh, where I live today, which is in Los Angeles and where I've lived in New York for 10 years. Um, but I, I think that um, it really gave me some simple values and, and a good work ethic. And um, did I know, I I was a really good student. I never say that, but I guess I was. (laughs) And Uh I I went to Penn State. My major was not biology. It was actually um, child and adolescent development. I was very much interested in psychology and what makes us tick. And when I look back at what we know today and what we didn't know then, wow, things uh, have have happened in so many areas and that as well. But that was a big interest of mine, and I I had a minor in communications. Um, At that time, there wasn't this uh, master's, Ph.D. program, which I probably would have kind of fell right into. Uh, So I wanted to take some time off um, between college and what I did. I moved to New York, but then uh, quickly moved to Paris for a year, um, and just did um, au pair work and and that kind of thing. And so I found myself traveling and, and just experiencing. I was totally on my own, had no money. <laughs> uh, it was a positive experience, though. I think every experience makes us who we are. I came back to New York, and actually I became involved with uh, different production houses that that worked on commercials and things like that. Um Something that I found was interesting, I ended up spending 10 years uh, doing several things in New York and then still 
knew I'd go back to school, but really had put it on the shelf, really wasn't sure. I moved to L.A. to work for Fox uh, Broadcasting Mm -hmm. for a short period of time, and that's when I knew that I had to do something else, that it just wasn't fulfilling. It just... I hardly ever watch television. So for me, I said, wow, I don't really feel like I'm using my mind. I don't feel like I'm, I'm expanding. I'm, I'm helping people or, or myself for that matter. And so I actually went back to school to take some science classes at UCLA and, um, and another um, affiliate and then applied to uh, medical school. Um, so until I, until then, and I started medical school at 35, I really wasn't sure. I'd say about maybe around 30, 32, uh, did I really seriously entertain the idea of, of medical school. And what drew you to that? Like what was there one particular experience that was like a light bulb going on over your head where you said, okay, this is it, I'm going to be a doctor? Because it's a huge, you know, you know, because you watched us do it, that Sabin and I, you know, so kind of helped and supported his daughter get into medical school. And it's such a journey. It's so hard just to get in. And then, you know, it's endless work. It's like 20 hours a day of studying. So what drew you to that? Well, you know, I mean, despite all of uh, my other interests and what I was doing, I always, always felt drawn to the magic of the body and how it works. Fascinated that we could even come out of the womb in in this okay package. (laughs) Now knowing that one chromosomal switch or, or, um, you know, translocation can cause um, an incompatible with life condition. So I always had that. I was always interested in in the body, how it works. So I was always reading that in the meantime. I certainly worked out, um, exercised, uh, was involved in middle to long distance running for a very long time. So that was in the background. Um, so I, I just think that when I decided, wait a minute, there's more. What am I doing? That's stopping myself in mid-track instead of, you know, many people, I start my career, I go through my career, even though it's not what I want to do, it's harder to make the change. And certainly at 35, it it is a lot to change. Mm -hmm. Linda, what gave you the courage to do that? I mean, what inside you gave you the courage to make a drastic, difficult, challenging life change at that point? Um, I'm drawn to challenges, and I think if it's not difficult, it's not worth doing. So uh-huh. there's that, and I'm very competitive. So maybe um, that, um, but there were moments of doubt, definitely moments of doubt where I said, what have I done? Have I lost my mind? I don't think I can do this. Maybe I've made a mistake. Um, many moments like that. Um, and how did you but, see yourself through those moments? Um, just know that when I committed myself to this, it was not to stop in midstream, but to to see it through. It's very easy to give up when things are difficult. I mean, many people give up on relationships when they're difficult. Um, Knowing that if you get through that difficulty, much of the time you come out stronger and better. And that's something that I I guess I I saw through my, my parents' relationship 
um, what I grew up with was you just, when things got hard, you didn't just walk away. You didn't just stop uh, and, and go someplace else or um, go in another direction. Um, mm. it, may, it builds character. Uh, we all have strength that we um, probably don't tap into and unless we have to. There are some people who, um, and women have an enormous amounts of strength, by the way, um, but um, there are people who will challenge themselves, and I think that they're better off. And talking about aging and, and longevity, I think these are the people that age well. They're constantly changing themselves. And at the age of 50, they don't give up and say, well, I'm 50, I'm supposed to be 50 pounds overweight, and I'm supposed to be a little depressed and, you know, frankly, have no sex interest, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are a lot of us who are saying, wait a minute, that's craziness. Mm-hmm. we're here to live through the end and what can we do? And so to do that, constantly change, challenge yourself physically, um, many times emotionally, certainly uh, academically or, or in mind. Uh, so all of that, I think, played a role. And now when I think about it, it's there. When I was going through it, I didn't really get that. I didn't mm-hmm. sit there and think of that. It was just there from, from, I think, my childhood. I really, really do. And well, who I, I am. I want to get back to something you said about the magic of the body and also continually changing yourself. I know um, from talking to you that you have been an art model and as well as a champion sprinter. I mean, you really are at, you know, at the peak of your, your class. So can you talk about those things? Um, yeah, I, I can. Um, I think part of the, I mean, to respect your body um, and to appreciate what it's doing. And I'm not saying that we all have to have these perfect, beautiful bodies because what really is that? That's a definition that's been defined from... Well, I, um, I just want to say for my listeners, if you are in awesomely good shape and have, I would consider really... <laughs> body i mean you are just absolutely live and slim and in perfect shape it's you know you could be 20 years younger than you are so whatever you're doing for anti-aging it's working and you know you're a great example of whatever you're you you know you're teaching people about because it's working for you well thank you i appreciate that i didn't pay her by the way Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um It's it's all about, I mean, really appreciating what our body does for us every single day, right? I, I mean, a lot of people talk about detoxing. I'm going on a detox, for instance. And guess what? Our body's detoxing every single day, every single moment of the day. Our biggest organ is the skin. Uh, the liver and the kidney are our main filters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not that giving yourself a lighter load at some points in time isn't a nice thing to do for your body, but it does so much, and it is so magical. And if you ask it to do things, it many times comes through. Now, I'm not saying that we're all going to be Olympic athletes or um, you know geniuses or, or things like that, but we can strive to be our best. And what is our best? Just every, every year, I think my... Um, my New Year's resolution is to be the best that I can. It's always the same because I think I'll never reach the best that I can be, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't put a limitation on your body and on your mind, you just keep striving. 
so then you'll keep advancing. That, to me, helps longevity. Um, but in terms of my sprinting, I was a long-distance runner, and I kind of was in the slump middle distance, and I would get out there, and I'd do the same silly workout, you know, five days a week. And I thought, wow, you know, Linda, you're not changing your body at all anymore. What's, what should we do? And, so that, um, had you hit like a plateau, or was it a mental thing? Was it a physical thing? What was going on at that moment in terms of not think, changing your body? Um, well, I mean, if you continue to do the same thing, your body isn't going to change. But then if you continually do the same thing and you're 50, you're definitely not going to do it. Well, our body reacts better to um, to challenges and changes. Keep it always on, on oh, what are you going to do today? Or what are we going to do today? That's where you'll see the changes. But I wanted to challenge myself. I didn't want to go out and do another 10K or whatever. And a friend of mine said, wow, Linda, you're kind of fast. And I said, really? Not really. And he said, yeah. Did you ever think about sprinting? I said, oh, I, you know, I do hill repeats and stuff, but that I'd never really given it serious thought. So then I found out that USA Track and Field has a master's division, and I started, you know, exploring who's doing that and how can you even learn that? And uh, so I actually was blessed enough. I have a wonderful coach now uh, who has um, run his whole life and coached his whole life. Um, And then I also teamed up with an um, ex-Olympian who was 400 meter. um, And uh, I learned so much from them. So I would just simply work out with them once or twice a week, and they would tell me what I needed to do. Linda, this is what you need to do in the gym to make you stronger here. This is what you need to do. So it's technique, but it's strength and speed and reaction time. And so I just started working on it. Um, And then I had a couple injuries that I'm coming back from. But definitely I I think that changed not only my body, but my mind. My mind. How did it change your mind? Learning new skills, first of all, learning new skills. Uh, to get into the block um, and then to explode out of it. To know that you just didn't run with, uh, with uh, there's technique, there's um, a game plan, for instance. Even though it may be 100 meters, you think, well, you just run really hard, right? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, so a lot goes into that 100 meters. So I started really you know, appreciating different uh, in um, little things about these different races because now I compete in the 100, 200, and 400 meter. Totally different races. Um, and so that, I think, challenged my mind, and that was really, really important. And certainly we know uh, exercise gets blood flowing to the brain, mm-hmm. which, of course, is good for youth and um uh, brain cells, cognitive function, um, depression, you know, the neurotransmitters and the hormones work right in, right there together. Um, so it serves a multitude of, of, of purposes. And tell us about your first win when you were sprinting. Oh, wow. It was kind of this cold day. <laughs> um it was. It was a cold day. I had. I always wear a lot of warm-up stuff. Um, when you're old, I, I always say, when you're old, it just takes a longer time to warm up. But um, I just thought, okay, this is kind of uh, one of the first runs of the season here. It was early. It was a spring run, 
and um, I just lined up, and I don't remember anything from the the beginning, the the starting blocks, until I actually went over the the line, and I couldn't believe when they said, "Wow!" I said, "Wow! No, that's got to be a mistake. That that's not me. They're calling out." Mm-hmm. I um I I guess I was really what you call in the zone. I um hadn't I didn't put up uh, that race. Um, I I wasn't expecting tons from myself. I was just going to go out and see what I could do. And it was beginning of the season, and so there you have it. And it was pretty pretty amazing. And I actually I set a personal best um, in the hundred and two hundred that day. Wow. Um, somehow that was a very good day. <laughs> that is um, that's that's great. Congratulations. It felt wonderful, fun, fun. And do you see yourself continue? I know you re, you said you're recovering from an injury. Do you see yourself continuing to run and continuing to learn new things? What new challenges do you have coming up on the athletic front? Well, I have a, a very big goal, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say it out loud. I mean, I've said it out loud, but um, the 400 meters is a very, very difficult race, and for me, it's a very scary race, and. Um, the last time I ran it, I, I, I was injured and I came in limping. Um, but I have said that I would um, kind of overcome the 400. Um, it's um, equivalent to sprinting a whole lap of uh, the track, a quarter of a mile. Um, so you go into all of your um, energy systems, right, the aerobic, anaerobic, um, so that last hundred is is really a mental a mental challenge because your body says, okay, we've had enough of this, we can stop now. And you say, I know what we have to go. <laughs> uh-huh. So, and you'll talk to even the Olympians, and they know. So there's this respect about the 400, and I really want to set. My goal is to try and set um, the USA record uh, for the 400 in my age group. Um, and cool. I hope to do it in the next uh, year or two. That's cool, Linda. I wish you a lot of luck. I have a feeling you'll you'll master that goal. Well, hopefully. Thank you so much. Well, and tell us now, since we sort of started approaching this, but talk about anti-aging medicine and about, you know, people being able to expect more out of their lives um, longer. I know for me that's really important because, I'm 52, and I don't want to just give up doing fun things, and I want to be vibrant until I'm 82 or 92. So what can you tell us? How do we stay young, and how can anti-aging medicine help us, and what's on the forefront? Okay. Well, that's a, that's a power question. Um, first of all, the sooner that you start, the better it is. There's, um, uh, it's definitely multifaceted. Uh, yes, there's some luck involved. Yes, there's, there's some genes involved. I mean, the fact that we're now all this gene testing, but that doesn't mean you have to succumb. It might tell you where your weaknesses are and what, uh, where you might have to put a little extra work or attention to. Um, but I think that we need to look at it, the whole picture as, um, I, I'm, of course, as you know, a big a proponent, and a lot of what I do is hormone replacement, and I see men and women. 
certainly we do peak at 25. So at 50 and your age and that menopause, and men at the age of 40, actually, one in 10 have low testosterone. Um, and it doesn't just affect the physical. It affects the emotional, the mental, so the performance. It affects everything. Well, I know men with low low testosterone get very, very cranky and snappish. They do, Uh, just like when we have uh, hormone issues, too, yes. uh, It it does, absolutely. Um, Men who come to see me um, usually have fatigue, um, maybe not as much interest. They could have low uh, libido. They just don't have the drive. And men run on testosterone, so the drive to be competitive in the workforce and anywhere else. Uh, the recovery time that they take if they exercise, so then they're less motivated. Um, They can even get a bit of depression or low mood, and it all works together. So not one thing. When you have one symptom, say you have fatigue, well, it affects everything in your whole life. Um, So I'm a big believer in uh, hormone replacement, but also the diet, and then there's what is the perfect diet, and, um, boy, we could talk uh, forever ad nauseum on that. I don't think that there's a perfect diet. Um, uh, disappointingly, um, our food source is not as wonderful as I'd like it, as it should actually be. Um, but to try and eat real food, right? Mm-hmm. Food that's not processed and, you know, kind of altered, et cetera. Um, well, I know I have a different response to dairy when we're in Europe like you know we try to get to Italy a lot Sabin has relatives there and we both love the art um, and I find it inspiring for my books and when I'm in Europe when I especially in Italy I can eat the dairy and I don't have issues but it's definitely in the United States I've just I've given up dairy and I've switched entirely to you know organic non-gmo almond milk Um, I just I don't even have cheese because it's just not worth the you know, what I'm going to feel later. Now, I, I've, that response uh, is mimicked by many of my patients. And I'm, um, I mean, a lot of it has hormones, is, is processed, it's pasteurized, it's dead food. It really isn't alive. When you ultra-pasteurize something, believe it, there's nothing there. Um, I mean, so is ultra-pasteurized um, milk or, or cheese any better than any other processed food. I mean, one could argue that it's not. I um, um, I love raw uh, milk, particularly raw goat milk, which is more similar to our human milk, um, and the good things that um, can be um, gotten from it. I personally don't have a problem with raw goat milk. It's probably the only dairy that I consume. Um, We've switched our daughter over to goat milk. She's on um, high-quality goat milk because she had so many ear infections and strep throat so often. She was on constant antibiotics as a little guy, and Mm -hmm. then she just developed some kind of intolerance to dairy. So it was actually her pediatrician who suggested Mm -hmm. goat milk, and then we supplement with folic acid because goat milk doesn't have, I guess, the same Mm -hmm. level of folic acid as cow's milk. Right, and how's she doing? Much better, much better on goat milk. She doesn't get the tummy aches. Right, right. But if she um, does, like, 
if they have a pizza party at school and she eats a couple pieces oh. of pizza, she'll come home and say, I have a stomach ache. We also, right. you know, Sabin and I are very health conscious and we don't eat a lot of carbohydrates like, you know, breads. We just tend not to have those at home. And you had right. asked me to consider a paleo diet a few years ago and I, I try to eat paleo and I definitely feel better when I do. I just definitely feel more energy and um, cleaner, lighter and cleaner. Uh, good, because the paleo diet uh, works for many people, not for everyone. Certainly the Mediterranean diet is, uh, there's a lot of research behind it touted to help uh, insulin resistance and cardiovascular disease. And certainly the research is there. Uh, but again, the carbohydrates that they're addressing uh, are uh, legumes, um, and lots of vegetables, that kind of thing. So if you look at um, the pyramid of the Mediterranean diet, you're going to see a lot of fish, actually. Um, not so much red meat. Uh, if you can tolerate, they'll say dairy, but still there's not a lot of that. Olive oil, um, as I said, the fruit and vegetables and nuts, um, you just, um, if that works for you, some people, uh, a lot of people that does uh, actually work for. So that's another thing. I don't think that there's one way of life that's going to fit everyone's life. Mm -hmm. So then we have hormones, we have diet, we have exercise. And so I'm certainly not going to tell everyone to, uh, to sprint or to run even. Uh, there's so many forms of exercise, and one of the things we have to think about is what what is what really resonates with me? What could I see myself doing several times a week and really feel pleasure from doing it? If you have mm -hmm. to drag yourself to the gym, like for me, if I had to swim, it would never work because I have this thing about this chlorine drives me crazy. So, I mean, it has to really resonate and be something that you're kind of excited to do. Um, but that is so important for the body and the mind um, and, and brain health, cognitive function. So exercise and making it a, a routinely a part of your life is so key. And then something else uh, that I think we give a lot of verbiage to but maybe don't do. Everyone walks around these days. I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. Every one of my patients I mean, everyone says I'm stressed. <laughs> and I really do understand because so am I. I mean, look at what's going on in the world. How can you, unless you live in this bubble underneath your bed, um, how could you not be affected by it, right? Mm -hmm. um, e economically, too, a lot of hardship. Um, but what we have to do is really figure out, wow, we're all going to be stressed. How are we going to best deal with it? Or it's going to get you. Um, so meditation or prayer, chanting, whatever resonates with you, whatever it is that you can find a center. And truly for everyone, it's a bit different. I know a lot of people are very dogmatic about what they believe, but I think that's then becoming a negative. So if we're going to have this long, wonderful life. How are we going to have a long, wonderful life if we have to live by this set of rules set up by this doctor or this practitioner? And you mm -hmm. think, that's not how I feel good. That's just not working for me. Um, so it has to, it has to, there has to be some variability. There has to be some give and take. It really has to be an individual process. But in that process, I think all of these things have certainly got to be um, to um, addressed, right? 
Right. Well, I have a friend who says his form of religion is fishing. And I think when he goes out on his boat, he gets very uh, de-stressed. You know, for yeah. Sabin, mm-hmm. it's riding his bicycle. I know that for mm-hmm. me, it's walking. Um, I do have a meditation practice and I and also doing yoga. You know, I finally committed to a daily out. practice of yoga a couple, like a year and a half or two years ago, and it's made a big difference um, in my capacity to handle stress and say, okay, this is hard, but I can get through it. That's right, because the stress isn't going to go away. It's how are we going to do it? There was an aunt, you know, I'm so embarrassed because I can't remember this doctor's name. He actually is an anesthesiologist. I, I read this interview with him, and um, he trained in San Francisco area in, I believe, the 60s. Uh, he started doing yoga and meditation, but he really, I, I find him a really fascinating man. He realized early uh, that stress really does kill, mm-hmm. and it kills brain cells. And if we're losing brain cells, that cognitive function can't be good in the long haul. And if we lose brain function, I mean, we normally have an atrophy of the brain, normally, at 0.5%. Moderate is 1%. If you have Alzheimer's, we're talking about 2.5% brain atrophy a year. Oh. We're talking per oh. year. So you can see how much you would lose and how rapidly you could decline. So his whole thing is, and he's actually founded the uh, Alzheimer's Research Foundation. And um, yes, there are some supplements that, that can, you know, help the brain. Um, but he really, true, is, I mean, one and, and foremost is is have a meditation or some kind of practice. And it doesn't have to be an hour, a half hour. Uh, you know, TM has been around forever, and they say 20 minutes. Their whole practice is 20 minutes twice a day. So um, there's walking meditation. So it just... Um, I mean, there are lots, lots of things we've known for a long time. Um, well, what, so are I think some that, the, what are some of the things we can do to protect our brains, specifically as we get older? Uh, number one and foremost, be, be active physically and intellectually, meaning challenge. So all these brain games are actually very good. Um, they do help the memory. Um, so activity, I do believe meditation because that's cumulative. So taking that, that stress off the brain, right? You're just getting mm-hmm. into, we're talking brain waves now, right? Um, that helps. Um, certainly nutrition, you you know, we know that Alzheimer's, we know that high blood pressure, high cholesterol, insulin resistance, diabetes, all these chronic diseases have their bases and inflammation. So the question then becomes, how can I decrease my inflammation? Uh, there's anti-inflammatory diets. Um, there's some great vitamin D, uh, which turns out to be a hormone, or at least a pro-hormone, because it does regulate, um, is more important than one ever thought. Um, resveratrol is a great anti-inflammatory, alpha-lipoic acid, um, DHA, you know, everyone talks about fish oil, which is great. There are two components of fish oil. One's EPA and one's DHA. For instance, DHA, we put it in, in baby's formula now. They put it in uh, prenatal vitamins because it's so important for the um, the brain and the uh, neurological development. 
the neurons. So I think about a thousand milligrams of the DHA, and then the EPA is is wonderful, but it really acts um, not so critical in the brain as the DHA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what am what else am I thinking? I take a lot of supplements. So I hate to, and that's a whole other story, too, how the supplements are, one supplement is not equal to the quality is is very variable. But curcumin is also a wonderful, um, it's turned out now with research, uh, anti-tumor as well as anti-inflammatory. I've been Um, reading the research on curcumin. It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's It's just amazing. It's so broad-ranging in its implications, I think. It is, and if you want to get, it's a large molecule, so getting it into cells where you really need it to be effective becomes challenging. And, of course, there's a lot of research being done on bioavailability of the curcumin. If you, for instance, um, get a curcumin with biopurine, which is black pepper, for instance, you then increase the efficacy by Mm. 2,000 times. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So so there are lots, yeah, there's much, much uh, research being done about curcumin and even in uh, tumor and cancer patients as well. Um, well, let's go back to bioidentical mm-hmm. hormone therapy and also, and also the supplements. And why do you think some of the traditional Western doctors have such resistance to bioidentical hormones? And um, I'm just going to say that, I, you know, you know about me and my thyroid, and my thyroid was quitting years ago, and I knew it. And I went to a wonderful doctor, my regular doctor at the time, and he did one test and said, oh, you're within normal levels. But I wasn't. And two years later, I ended up in a complete collapse, unable to get out of bed, and my, you know, thyroid hormone was 4,000, or, you know, it's astronomical, or, you know, you don't want it to be that high because it means it's trying too hard to prompt the thyroid to work. And then, you know, finally you put me on Armour Thyroid and it has made, given me a whole new life. But so many doctors will act like Armour Thyroid is made in a back alley by the same guy who's running a meth lab. So why is this? What can we do about it? Um, well, first of all, I was educated and in um, an allopathic residency, uh, meaning it's, it's traditional, and um, that is how they're trained. Even even now, uh, even though the door is, is, is opening a bit, it takes a long period of time, uh, these beliefs are kind of handed down and taught, and that's how it is. So in terms of um, hormone yeah, therapy... thyroid has been used, I think, since like the 1880s or something. It's been used for over 100 years. And no, it, it actually has been, and it's been actually reformulated. It's not made, it's not compounded, it's actually a pharmaceutical, a big pharmacy, uh, pharmaceutical company owns and makes it. So um, it is um, not, some some doctors, find, they say it's not as effective. Well, I find uh, that it is in many people. Now, that being said, there are some people who don't tolerate or do well on armor thyroid, and they do better on maybe a synthetic. Um, but you have to be open. I'll try something T3, T4. I mean, why I like uh, like armor or nature Throid is they are made with both T3 and T4. Now, remember, we have receptors for T3 on ourselves. 
So if we're not doing a great job at converting T4, I guess I could take all the Synthroid in the world that I wanted to or any T4, but it's a problem if I'm not converting to T3 because that's what I really need. Um, and so it's, these both are made with porcine, and porcine is pig, but it's the most similar to our human uh, thyroid. And I get, a, I get a pretty good result. Uh, as I said, I have patients who come to me who are on Synthroid or uh, Synthetic T4. I'm not bashing Synthroid at all. I should just say Synthetic T4. And um, they're not converting to T3, and so they're having all the symptoms of low thyroid. So if you look at their numbers, you would say, hey, yeah, I guess it's, you're doing great. Uh, I don't know why you're so tired and why your hair is falling out and why you have dry skin and you're constipated. Right. I mean, it sounds like it's too bad, but it's not your thyroid. But if you're looking at free T3, you can see a wonderful T4, and then you see a T3 that's 2.5 or something, where, say, 3.2 is 50 percentile. Um, you, you can see either... What I do is many. I add some T3, whether it be synthetic or I switch them totally over to uh, a more natural thyroid. That's when I see the changes um, also. And, and remember, if we're just treating a number, we have a problem. So I think labs are really important, but I think if we're not listening to the patient, we're missing a whole lot, and that's why we have all these people running around saying, I hate doctors, they don't listen to me, and they just give me the same thing. And that integrative medicine is more where, um, okay, you're my patient and I'm the practitioner, and we're going to be partners in this process. So we're going to need this communication. And... Um, so we'll use, you know, conventional maybe uh, methods and, and drugs, and then we can use alternative methods as well. So I, it's, it's being open. Um, I mean, the WHI was the Women's Health Initiative, and of course it's been evaluated and reevaluated I don't know how many times now, uh, but it truly was done and, and the study, I mean, I uh, how it got so much, it, the study was huge. So that gave it a lot of impact, right? So there were a lot of lives that were studied. Um, but what the, were the findings? Well, it all depends on who you talk to and wh which rehash is is it. But one thing we have to, first, before we even talk about that, is, Okay, these women, there are two arms, right? These women were taking Prempro. That's actually a horse mare urine and a synthetic Provera, which is not the same as progesterone. And there's that big uh, disconnect. Uh, when I went to school, I thought Provera, progesterone, it was the same thing. Well, it turns out it's really not the same molecule. So... Um, and I think that there is much now agreement in the medical community that maybe Provera is not a wonderful drug uh, and the realization that Provera and progesterone are not the same. Um, but nonetheless... Well, wasn't part of the problem that the big drug companies threw a lot of money into promoting their drugs, which they could patent, and then the bioidentical hormones 
can't be patented, so they didn't get the same advertising budget. Well, that that will always be the case. That's always the case in in just about anything that's not a pharmaceutical drug. They spend a lot of money, you know, out of a thousand drugs that come and or that are created, one actually makes it through the process. So it's a very costly um, um, procedure. But yes. Um, Bioidentical hormones are, first of all, they're hormones that if our body could still continue to make them, it would be very similar to that molecule, uh, whether it's oral, cream, etc. cetera. Um, whereas if you're doing, using synthetic, it's really not um, the same molecule. It can have some of the same effects of, a mo- of that drug. Uh, I think I'm getting off, off here, but, um, you know, the real thing was that hormone replacement uh, causes cancer and does other bad things to us. And I think that that's truly not the case. I mean, you can't just glump everything all together and say they all have the same effect. Um, And so I believe that many physicians truly believe that it is. Hormone replacement is hormone replacement no matter what. Uh, maybe not differentiating the difference. Um, when you do a pharmaceutical product, you are stuck with whatever dose they have decided to make, right? So mm-hmm. you can't really um, you can't really make um, individual doses. Uh, the compound pharmacies, by the way, are very very regulated at this point to the point where pharmacies are closing, some of the compound pharmacies are closing. Uh, They're really under the gun and attack. Um, People think that's over, but it really isn't. Um, I I think we're going to lose more compound pharmacies and we're going to have less access to compounded pharmacy. Um, And is that because the big medical pharmaceutical corporations... Big pharmaceutical companies have so much money, they're just throwing a lot of weight into closing those down so people don't have options, so that people must take their medications which don't work as well? Uh, I don't know that they don't work as well. It all depends on what you're talking about. But uh, it's certainly, um, I don't think they're just having them close down. How It's more finesse than right than that, right? There's a lot of pressure that the FDA... Uh, has to uh, is exposed to let's see so the FDA is pressured and there are all these new regulations so the regulations come from the FDA and from particular state boards as well of pharmacy and it becomes so um, expensive for the pharmacies to um, to operate and well, I've then also I've also mm-hmm. read that there you know that the FDA is not. Uh, a pristine institution. There have been a number of changes in director, and there's uh, a lot of corruption. I read specifically that people from Monsanto have gone to work for the FDA to get their stuff, you know, approved more easily. And then when they're whatever they're trying to pass is approved, then they go back to work at Monsanto. You know, this is not this is not okay. This is not kosher. No, no, no. There's a lot of dirty business going on, and unfortunately, it's in the entire government. It's not just in the FDA, um, but yes, if you recall the NIH, when I always, uh, the NIH was caught 
doing something, this was years ago, um, you know, kind of manipulating data for their studies. And, you know, everyone reveres the NIH or at least had. Um, so there's a lot of that behind the scenes that, that goes on. And so we don't even know the whole, um, the whole story. But for sure, I mean, now there are going to be some things that uh, can't be compounded because they're saying they're too difficult to be compounded. Now, I just have to say that bioidentical hormones have been used for at least 70, if not more, years in Europe. Um, so it's not new. And um, So are people in the United States going to have to try to get their compounded bioidentical hormones from Europe? Is that coming down the pike? I don't know. I uh, I joked about that the other day. Actually, I um, perhaps some of them, yes. Um, and and then we have the insurance companies who do not want to help at all. Uh, we're all paying more for insurance, uh, getting less, and all the insurance companies want to give uh, my women um, are the generic, whatever generic. Um, hormone that happens to be available. Uh, anything else, uh, some of my women uh, will get some of the things, uh, you know, compounding covered, but there's less coverage of compounding than when I first started to do this. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, I'd say, within the last, I thought there would, I was really encouraged. I thought more and more compounding was covered. And then several years ago, uh, I noticed uh, a definite change. That it that it was going in the opposite direction, and it definitely has done that. That's so, okay. Why uh, don't you tell us how the bioidentical hormones work? Like I know, you know, testosterone um, is for men, but also for women, and then estrogen and progesterone. How do they work for a person? Like, if a patient comes to you, it's a woman. She's fifty years old. She said, "I'm not feeling so good. I'm perimenopausal." You know, how would you help her? Well, first of all, yeah, I mean, I'm, I spend at least an hour, you can see the way I talk, but I spend at least an hour with every new patient and sometimes more. So I really want to get to know what she wants and what's bothering her, what she wants, where she is in our life, what has she done in the past, what are her medical issues, okay? And then I like some kind of testing. Why? Um, as I said, I use testing as a guideline, but it's, it's concrete, right? So I know where we're coming from to know where we're going to. Uh, so either serum testing, blood. I sometimes do. I mean, I've done everything, saliva, urine, you name it. Um, the I can tell you uh, serum is usually covered by the PPO insurances, so I end up doing serum a lot, so I've become very versed in it. Um, but um, So you get your baseline, and then if someone's menopausal, the ovaries have stopped working. And so when the ovaries stop working, there's really no estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone being produced. And so you have deficiency of all. Uh, and also, um, you might, uh, in a woman, get a little testosterone from the conversion of DHEA uh, in the adrenals. I look at that as well. Um, but then if I'm giving them estrogen, there are many ways to do it. There's vaginally, there's transdermally, there's through a patch. Is it bioidentical? Well, at least it's transdermal. Um, orally, if nothing else works, that is, is fine, too. Um, 
um, all depending on on the lifestyle and what the patient is willing. Remember, this is a partnership. And so what it does, the estrogen is key because there are receptors everywhere, certainly in the brain. Why do women have foggy brains? It's, it's mainly estrogen, um, even though we do have testosterone and DHA um, receptors in the brain. I got um, pretty foggy when my thyroid stopped working, too, though. I kept trying to drink more and more coffee to get my brain awake, and it just wouldn't wake up. Right. And th- thyroid can, again, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, it's the big, I mean, it affects all the um, metabolism of the body. In fact, I have had patients with low thyroid have a very low libido as well, and people don't usually um, partner those two together, but I've seen that. So it, it can certainly hot flashes or night sweats. There's always sleeping disturbances, Um uh, just in the skin, a plastic surgeon told me recently. In, I know when a woman's on uh, when she's on hormone replacement. I can just look and know, and then if I feel her skin, for sure. Because what does he do? There are receptors intrinsically and extrinsically in the skin. Uh, in the pulmonary tree, okay, uh, there's that. Certainly. Um, the bone, right? Body compositions affected by hormones. The vulva, vagina, urethra all have estrogen receptors. So how does the um, so woman feel when you start to get her on this on a on a um on a system with estrogen, progesterone and testosterone? How does she feel? What are the changes she notices? First of all, I think one of the best changes in first are she's sleeping. And once you have someone who's sleeping, then we can talk rationally and we can work on things. (laughs) So sleep, right? If you're not sleeping, all bets are off, right? So she's sleeping so she's not as tired. She's not cranky, right? So she's not sweating at the drop of a hat. Um, Her brain, she's really putting sentences together. I have some people who are in high positions and all of a sudden they think they they go to the neurologist because they think there's something wrong with their brain they need some estrogen um their memory their focus is clear uh first of all then they're interested in in having uh sex and and maybe being with the partner um you know vaginal dryness and and decreased libido um very major symptoms um so energy level, then then they want to exercise, then they care more about what they eat. So they're more motivated, they're more engaged in life. They're not walking around dragging themselves thinking, oh my goodness, this is all I have to look forward to. So their whole life can actually change. And of course, some people have more severe symptoms than others. There's no doubt about it. Um, that's well, just... We, we have about five minutes left. So can you summarize some of the more importance of what you've learned along the way as a physician working in this field and also as a runner, a sprinter? What are some of the important things you've learned? I would have to say that I'm still a work in progress. And as long as I feel that way, I think there's a tomorrow. Um, Meaning don't close. I learn from my patients. So uh, I've learned to be open And sometimes it's hard because it's easier to be stuck in your way of doing things. And, you know, you get stuck. You get really in your way uh, to challenge yourself, to be open. uh, That allows you to grow. 
And if we're growing and challenging ourselves, that's the biggest step for a healthy aging process, I think, to keep that because that's energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's 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 really key not to be set not to be not to be afraid of change not to be afraid of a challenge and i'll tell you as it gets as you get older it does become a little scarier and maybe you feel like oh haven't i done this before we have to keep doing it because that's going to be our best chance of i think having the longevity that we ta- that everyone talks about and what's what's a fun fact about you that people might not know? Hmm. Fun fact? Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about animals, and maybe, pe- but people pick up on that pretty readily. Um, well, I know you have adorable cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I like dark chocolate. <laughs> I would not have known that, considering there's not an extra ounce of fat on you anywhere. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty boring, I guess. <laughs> what do you do in your spare time? Not that you have any, because I know you're constantly like doing new fellowships and different things, but what do you do in your spare time? Mm, that's a tough one. I, that happens to be my problem and my weakness right now. Um I, I don't know. I read. I really like to read a lot. Um, that and enjoy nature. Those would be the things that I, I really enjoy. And, and any any words of wisdom for our listeners about, you know, any last words of wisdom for them about your journey and anti-aging and all of this? I say challenge yourself and never give up. Don't listen to what they say. That's cool. And, oh, before we go, share with our mm-hmm. listeners where they can find out more about you and your work. Um, I'm working on a new um, site. Now, um, Tracy, you know about that, right? But if someone would wanted to contact me directly, uh, there are two direct phone numbers. Um, I guess Dr. Hillebrand, com would be a site that you could uh, go to. Mm-hmm. Um, a direct number, I have two of them. One would be 714-335-1613. The other is 818-259-3423. That's great. Linda, thank you so much for being on the show. You were amazing. I'm really grateful, and it was wonderful to hear everything you had to say. Thank you. You're so welcome. Um, Have a great holiday. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So that was Dr. Linda Hillebrand talking about anti-aging and never giving up. And to everyone who's listening, thanks so much for joining us. Please come back next week. We've got a best of show and the following week. On December 3rd at 1 p.m., we have author and psychic Mary T. Brown. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving with lots of love and joy. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.